Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. As I was preparing for today and trying to figure out what it was that God wanted me to share, I, uh, I ended up uh, on our summer theme, uh, which is ambassadors. Um, and I, I love the, the song that we sung earlier, I'm a child of God. And, and we love those songs, and I'm just, I'm just reminded and really deeply convicted um, and, and find myself in a, in a place of repentance because I'm, I'm reminded of the number of opportunities I've messed up where I haven't been an ambassador. I haven't been the voice or the words or the, or the hands or the feet of Jesus in a situation. And, uh, you know, as I look back and, and I think about I think about the difficulty in, the, in those situations so often. I, I, let's, let's pray as we head into that, and into that first scripture. Jesus, um, I am, um, I'm sorry for the times I've dropped the ball. For the times I've, I've sung this song, it's so great to be a child of God. And, and then I look over at someone else who's all messed up and I'm, I forget they're your child too. And God, then I look at the people who've done horrible things in this world, uh, some of them my friends, and I don't know how to forgive. I don't know how to love. But I thank you that you call us to that, that you remind us to love the way that you do. And so God, I ask that you'd change us today that you would truly make us your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to actually start in verse 17. So I'm going to read a little more than is up here on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And that's good news. I mean, do you get that? The old is gone. The new has come. We're made new. It's a work that God does in us. Then he says in verse 18, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, I can celebrate the fact that I'm a child of God, but I don't want to forget that I'm also an ambassador. That I've been ordained, that you have been ordained as the one who is a representative of the king. An ambassador, that's all an ambassador is, someone who represents and shares the message of the president, the ruler, the king, from the country who sent them. That's what an ambassador does. They represent the leader. They convey his message to the citizens of the country of which they are temporarily serving and living in. Now think about that for a minute. The question that begs is, so what country are we from, really? Our country of origin isn't this planet. Yeah, we're made out of dirt. I get that. But we're spiritual beings primarily. God made us as spiritual beings to live out our life in the flesh, in this world. Too often we think of it the other way around. We're taught that we're 
physical beings and we have these spiritual experiences. It's just the opposite, actually. And as spiritual beings, we are created as citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God. We're made to live with him forever, in relationship with him forever. You heard the, the, the verse from 1 Peter chapter 2. Don't you love that? Chosen people, royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I love when he says, we're foreigners and exiles. Let that sink in for a minute. That's who you are. You're an exile. <laughs> You're a foreigner on this planet. I, I, I mean, seriously, the last couple of years, you haven't had to look around much to feel that way, have you? It's time we embraced it. That that's who we're called to be because we are chosen by God to be different. And so as a citizen of the country, of the kingdom of heaven, what does that look like? Often we think about ambassadors as being these people who are rich and they have these special privileges and they ride in the limo and they wear the tuxedos or the fancy uh, night, night or, or dresses. And, and so we get this image that Jesus turns upside down. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. You know what an ambassador is supposed to look like? An ambassador to the kingdom of heaven? Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, loving. And then in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's crazy. I mean, take it the next step, Galatians 5, 24 to 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us live in step with the Spirit. And so I have to ask myself, have I crucified the flesh? Have I allowed the old Bruce to die? The one that's ruled by the flesh, the one that fits in this world, the one that's all about success and accomplishment and being busy and making things happen. Have I allowed that man to die? Because if we don't, <clears throat> it's because we've been <clears throat> believing the cultural lies that we've heard so many times. In Diane Landberg's book, Suffering in the Heart of God, she says, I fear that we have long been breathing the cultural air and it appears to have put us to sleep. So we can then be oblivious to the toxins that we imbibe on a regular basis. Consider some of the characteristics of our culture. Surely narcissism and its accompanying entitlement are one. Look at the financial world, its greed and its downfall. Look at what happens when someone thinks that you are in their way. Look at the growing list of those in power who are using females for their own gratification. From big to little issues, it appears to be my right to get what I want, and if you are in my way or I need to adapt the rules, so be it. <clears throat> we value materialism, affluence, pleasure, and accomplishment. We've bought houses that we cannot afford, goods we cannot afford, and we pursue sex without concern for parameters or impact. We expect life to protect us from suffering, and if it does not, we sue someone. 
We expect to get what we want, avoid what we don't, and have the right to live pain-free existences. Busyness is seen as equal to productivity, and productivity and success trump real relationships. We are a nation full of self-absorbed, anxious, and angry souls. Haven't we felt that? You understand that that's the number one reason that people don't want to come to Jesus? That's the number one reason people will give you for not becoming Christian? It's because they've been treated so badly by those who carry that name, by those of us who are supposed to be ambassadors by the church. I um, canoed into the Everglades several years ago on a sabbatical, and it was an interesting time because I'd gone in for silence, solitude, and uh, I was actually in a, in, a, in a fast. I think we got the slide up of the uh, first beach I ended up on. And it was gorgeous. The Everglades is one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's also one of the most wild places on earth. Uh, I never saw an alligator. I mean, it was this time of year. <clears throat> but I saw a killer whale. I saw dolphins. I saw all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, and I saw mosquitoes the size of your dog. Um, I'm telling you, Unbelievable. And so I went in, and I was in good shape that night. There was a breeze coming off the bay, or off the, off the gulf, and it was gorgeous. And I slept right there on the beach. I don't pack a tent when I backpack. I just don't like tents. They get in my way. I want to be able to see the stars. And um, the other thing that I had forgotten was a head net. Um, you see that picture? That's actually sand fleas. I didn't, couldn't get a good picture of mosquitoes, but they give you a picture. I mean, that's just one picture of the amount of bugs. But the force, the number of mosquitoes that would come out. So that first night was great. Went on to the next island that I was scheduled to be at and set up my camp. And uh, it got dark. The minute it got dark, the mosquitoes descended. I had DEET. I had, I mean, 100% DEET. I smeared it on my face. I know you're not supposed to do that. And I'm, I'm probably forever scarred for that. But those mosquitoes came and licked it off my face and bit me. I mean, it was just, I, I've never seen anything like it. It was crazy. And, I mean, I'm like, okay, well, i got to get my sleeping bag. So I crawled in my sleeping bag, and I had a bivy bag so that, you know, if it ran, I, mean, I could have slept in the water and been, been fine. But I was in this bivy bag. I just bought it. I never even used it. And I didn't realize that the top had Velcro closures, like every eight inches, which means there's gaps every eight inches that anything can come through, and certainly mosquitoes, and they did. So during the night, I'm laying there, and I hear this, smack myself in the face, you know, trying to kill the mosquitoes. It was awful. I mean, I'd have to do log rolls periodically to kill the mosquitoes that were in the bag. In the morning, I got up, shook my bag out. There were hundreds of mosquitoes in my sleeping bag, dead ones, fortunately. And, and yet, I hadn't slept at all. I got up in the night to go to the bathroom, looked down at my foot. It was black. I reached my, uh, picked my foot up and brushed it off, and it turned red. I mean, they were that thick. So uh, I knew I was in trouble. Paddled like crazy past the island I was supposed to stay on to a further one because I'm thinking I got to finish this trip out quick because if I don't get a wind if I don't get a breeze I'm dead and uh, sure enough that night was the same thing I, uh, I however was on an island that I wasn't scheduled for so another group would come on and as I'm as I'm sitting down having a cup of tea this kayak pulls up and he hops out and uh, reaches in the front of his kayak and pulls out a beer and he looks up and he sees me and he reaches in and grabs another one and offers me a beer. Now, I've been, I've been fasting for a week and I don't, I don't normally drink anyway. And it's like, no, that would be really dumb. And so I did turn down the, the, the offer, but I thanked him for his generosity. And this guy was, he was very, very generous. 
Um, the rest of the group came in. There were eight of them in the group, and he was leading the group. And he knew the Everglades like the back of his hand. But this was one of the most pagan, narcissistic, uh, self-centered people I had ever met. I mean, they used words I'd never heard before and, uh, and put words together in ways I'd never heard them combined. And the things they said about Christians was unbelievable. I'd never heard my brothers and sisters talked about that way. And I didn't know what to do. So I just was quiet. I just hung out. I just was present. Now, again, this whole time I'd gone in there and I'd told Jesus, well, I need to be quiet, I need to be solitude, and I need, I need not eat. And Jesus dumps me into this group of eight people with lots of good food. It was crazy. Um, long story short, that night I didn't sleep at all, and I knew I was in trouble and had to get out. And so I went and talked to the group leader, and he says, hey, don't, don't, don't mess with the rangers. I kind of, just hang with us. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure you get back all right. So, all right. So I did. I actually gave myself into the hands of this guy uh, and asked him what he wanted and what, what we needed to do. So we went on back to the next spot that we stayed at. I helped with the kayaks, getting them up, helped set up tents, helped fix supper. He fixed, now I've been fasting for about a week, he'd fixed Alaska salmon with white sauce that night. It was unbelievable. Best I've ever had. And um, the next morning, though, the significant part of this is the next morning I'm sitting on the beach with my Bible, and I hadn't told him I was a Christian. I hadn't told him I had a Bible. I certainly hadn't told him what my job was. I hadn't told him anything. I just hung out with him and listened to them. And I'm sitting on the beach, and I got my Bible and my journal, and I'm trying to listen to Jesus, and what's he trying to tell me in all this? And the group leader, Greg, he comes over, and he sits down beside me. Well, there it is. I got my Bible and my journal, and he says, what you doing? I said, well, I'm just trying to listen to Jesus. I'm on sabbatical, and this is what I do. And he began to tell me his story, how he grew up in a Mennonite church, uh, up in northern Indiana, of all places, and uh, got married at a young age, and things went south really quick. Ended up divorced, and he said the church shunned him. They cut him off. He would go to church, and people would not even look him in the eyes. They wouldn't even make eye contact with him. He said, Bruce, I know God didn't leave me, but the church did. And he was right. I apologize for the church, but you know what? I keep thinking about this passage of Scripture, Philippians 1, 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do I do that? I mean, really? When it really comes down to it, do I live in a way that says I'm a child of God and I get the privilege of telling other people they can be a child of God too? And there's no barrier to that. Or do I draw lines, make judgments, and place stumbling blocks in other people's way? I'm afraid that too often <clears throat> I've judged my success in life by how successful I am, how popular I am, <clears throat> how financially successful we are, instead of how faithful I am to representing the God who reconciled me to himself. And made me his ambassador. So our message is simple. It's that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. <clears throat> We've been reconciled to God ourselves, and now our, God, our job as God's ambassadors is to bring people back to him as well. If you're a Christian, you need to see yourself, wherever you are, as God's ambassador to that place. I don't know if you're going to school Monday, but say you're going to school tomorrow. You need to remember you're not there because you're a student. 
You're there because you're an ambassador. You're there to talk to people about the opportunity to be a child of God, to be His. You say, well, i got to go to work tomorrow. Well, you understand, it's nice that they're paying your support, but that's not why you're there. You're there because you're an ambassador to share the good news of Jesus, that they can be reconciled to God. Your family, your neighborhood, God has placed you there as an ambassador for Christ. So for me, it means you just got to be present. Our missionaries this last summer, I love what, what Cody said. They're in New York City right now, of all places. They were planning on going to Jordan. And I told them, I said, I'll visit you in Jordan. But New York City, well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole different world. But they're working with some of the least reached people of the world in New York City. And it's amazing. And, and I, I, you, know, you ask him, what got you here? He says, I said yes. That's it. He said, I just said yes. It was one Yes, at a time. And I think that the bottom line is when we find ourselves in those situations, we just need to say yes. I was with a public school group, and this uh, had come out to camp for a day of group initiatives. And they're junior high kids, so they were really like junior high kids. They were being rude and obnoxious and sarcastic and, and not treating each other very good. And by the end of the day, that had all turned. I mean, really, they had learned uh, respect and how to care for each other, how to look out for each other. And it was beautiful to watch. And we're walking back to the bus. Uh, before they get on it and going right by the campfire area by the by the by the lake and we have a cross there and this gal saw the cross she's one of the junior high girls that's in this public school group in northern indiana she says what's that i said it's a cross what's a cross she did not even know what the definition of the word was and i got to tell her for the very first time the message of the life death and resurrection of jesus it's incredible had another public school group there that I prayed for the meal. It's our, always our tradition to pray for the meal. That's how you can get by with it with public school groups. And, and uh, of course, I'm not going to miss an opportunity when I'm given that, so I'm going to pray the gospel. I'm going to make sure they hear about everything about Jesus as I pray for the, for the food. And uh, I got done, and the kids all go up to eat, and this boy comes over to me, and he says, how, how, can you tell me how I can become a Christian? It's like, yeah, buddy, I can do that. Send him home with some information, and and I had a great conversation and prayer with him. But it was just because I was willing to say yes, that's all. You know, you can easily see it on the mission field. I remember when I visited my son, who was uh, on, in West Africa at the time, in an a 85% Muslim country. And his uh, interpreter uh, asked if I would go with them, with he and Bart, up to his village and have a meal with the elders of the village. Now, this is a real privilege for me. But it was actually a great honor to them because, for one, they have a lot of respect for older people. So my gray hair, or lack of it, uh, brought a lot of attention because they'd never had the father of a missionary visit. And so they wanted to meet me. And so I said, sure, yeah, absolutely. So we go up there. We're getting, up, we're getting close, and Cherno turns to me and says, uh, would you be willing to pray over my family? My mom, my mother died and um, two weeks ago, and the family's really struggling. I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd be glad to pray over your family. And then he added real quick, in the name of Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's the only name I pray in. We get up there, and then we're ushered into this little hut where we just are cooling our heels, waiting for the meal to be prepared. They get the meal ready, and they bring it out, and it's in a bowl about the size of the top of this table, and set it down on the floor. And the men, the older men there, are all on prayer mats, on their plastic prayer mats, which, just so you understand, they're made as prayer mats for 
for demonic gods. I mean, we understand that, right? And I'm sitting in chair because we're Westerners and they wanted us to have chairs to sit in. And um, they brought the food in, set it down, and they prayed their Muslim prayers to their false gods. And uh, they get done and they turn to me. And it's my turn to pray. And so I prayed. I prayed the blood of Jesus over that entire house, over that whole village. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the results of that is. I just know that I had to say yes. Was it a little scary? Yeah, a little bit. But you know what's really scary? Is if Cherno, if Cherno decides he's ready to declare his allegiance to Jesus Christ, he's got to answer two questions first. One, am I willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? And two, am I willing to die for the name of Jesus? Because if not, you better not say yes. Not in a world like that. Not in a country like that. Well, let me just ask, why not us? Why shouldn't we have to answer that same question? Are you willing? Are you willing to suffer for the name of Christ? Are you willing to die for the name of Christ? You know it may come to that, right? Accepting Jesus Christ as Lord means you can answer those questions with a simple yes. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day he was raised. That's the gospel. In Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. You understand that's past tense, right? That means we're there now. And I know this is hard for us to understand. We're like, no, I'm sitting in a chair in church. I get that. In the spiritual realm, do you understand where you're seated? Right now, if you've declared your allegiance to Jesus, you're seated with him in the heavenly realms because he seated us there ultimately to rule, to reign with him as ambassadors of his good news. Isn't that incredible? We have spiritual authority to do this job. Later there in that, in that section, he says, it's the gift of God, for we are God's work, handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. From before the creation of the world, God has been prepared, he had prepared you for the works he planned for you to do. You're not an accident. You are part of his plan. I had a junior high camper who came to me this summer at uh, it was about the middle of the week of camp, the, uh, the, the tie hut week that uh, Ashley Jessica was helping with. And uh, it was so cool because she'd already talked to us about what she'd lived through and the, the horrible situation. She, from the age two, this little girl was abused and went from foster home to foster home, and every new foster home broke out in a different kind of abuse, and it was horrific. She's 14 years old. She says she wants to accept Jesus. I said, why? What, what are you thinking? She says, she says, you know, all that time when I was being hurt, when I was being abused, I knew Jesus was with me. And I just want to be with him now. It was beautiful. You see, we're called to be the ones 
who show the Father's love to people. We can take them by the hand and lead them to him and introduce them to him. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you. Isn't that beautiful? Did you get it? God has been pursuing us since creation for relationship. And he wants you in relationship with him, but not just you. Everyone that you know, he wants in relationship with him as well. And then that verse he goes on, Jesus goes on, he says, and the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he, you have sent. He's saying, we want to know them. God made us to know him. In John three sixteen, you know the passage of scripture, how God loved the world so much he sent his only son. Verse 17, I love this, to save the world through him. He's reconciling all things back to him. But here's the bottom line, this message doesn't matter much if it's not lived out in my life, if I'm not consistent about living it incarnationally. I can say God loves you, but if I don't live a way that shows I love you, it doesn't mean anything. In Diane Lambert's book, Suffering in the Heart of God, she tells about being in Ghana for a conference on violence against women and children. She says, we visited Cape Coast Castle. Hundreds of thousands of Africans were forced through its dungeons and through the door of no return onto the slave ships. There were five dungeon chambers for males and descending into the darkness to one of those dungeons felt claustrophobic. 200 men shackled and chained together lived in that dungeon for about three months before being shipped across the Atlantic. We stood in one of the male dungeons instead and listened in the darkness to the whole horrific story while our guard said this. Do you know what's above this dungeon? Our head shook. The chapel. Directly above, 200 shackled men, some of them dead, others screaming, and all of them sitting in filth sat God worshipers. They sang, they read the scripture, they prayed, and I suppose they probably took an offering for those less fortunate. The slaves could hear the service. And the worshipers could sometimes hear the slaves, though there were those making them behave so as not to disturb church. It took my breath away. The evil, the suffering, the humiliations, the injustice were overwhelming, and the visual parable was stunning. The people in the chapel were numb to the horrific trauma and suffering beneath them. We have dungeons in our world today. Tent cities in Haiti and the Ivory Coast, genocides in Rwanda and Bosnia, and around the world, and relentless systemic violence in our own inner cities. Do you know that all of these events produce traumatized human beings? One in four soldiers is a child, and 200 million children live on the streets of this world. Amnesty International says that one in three females are beaten or coerced into sex and otherwise abused in their lifetime. One in three. Think about that statistic the next time you walk through the airport or a city street or sit in the pews in your own church. Child sexual abuse, child marriage cause physical and psychological harm to countless females. Girls have acid thrown in their faces for attending school. They are stoned to death for, or for being raped. Eastern Congo is the rape capital of the world and a recent UN human rights panel says that hundreds of thousands have been raped during the conflict there, and 13% of the victims were children under the age of 10. Sex trafficking, 
The slavery of today is a brutal and destructive force of girls and women today, and it's not just over there. It's here in our streets and cities, in your city. The dungeons are here, sometimes sitting next to us. Our guide pointed to the ceiling above and said, heaven above, hell below. But I would argue that heaven was not above, for that's not what heaven does. What does heaven do? Heaven leaves heaven. It's place of comfort, songs, purity, plenty, and money to give. Heaven comes down. If the people of that chapel had truly worshipped God, they would have been in the dungeon, in the filth, and the darkness, and the suffering. They would have entered in so that they might bring out. Acts 17.6 says, These men have turned the world upside down. The church goes into the dungeon so that the dungeon becomes the church. God came down so as to lift up. God became like us so that we might become like Him. He came to this dung-filled dungeon we call earth and sat with us, touched us, loved us, and called us to Him. Be reconciled to God.